what I initially wanted to do was just a CDP protocol where there'd be a stable coin, you could deposit collateral anywhere, take out the stable coin, borrow anywhere. And it was you know, over collateralized. So nothing like Terra or something that uh, would be like risky, like really wanted to guarantee that it actually held its value. Yep. And then you'd be able to really seamlessly bridge it between different chains and use it interoperably. And you know, that's still in protocol, um, but- I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Welcome, Colton, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Excited of course. To chat about Prime and uh, have a good conversation. Yeah, we all know you as the founder of Prime Protocol, and it's you know something we definitely need in a DeFi world. And I'm sure your audience is going to love learning more about what's coming for Prime. But I want to know more about Colton and what he was doing before ever even hearing about crypto. Where were you? Well, before hearing about crypto, I was in high school. Uh, that's sort of when I got my start. Um, I ended up uh, first hearing about crypto and I started investing in 2016. Um, at that point, you know, I was just throwing around uh, very small amounts of money and I ended up building a trading bot to go between different centralized exchanges. And uh, that's really what got me interested and uh, involved in the space originally. Uh, and this was you know, before DeFi had really taken off yeah. or was a thing. Uh, and smart contracts were something that we were talking about and Ethereum existed, but not much had been built on it yet. Um, so I, I had always been interested in uh, you know, math and coding and that kind of thing. So uh, it fit very nicely into my interests and mm -hmm. Uh, in college, I ended up studying econ and stats and data science, took a lot more comp sci. And so it, I think crypto is sort of the intersection of all of those things uh, and uh, a really cool experiment um, that I wanted to get into full time later on down the road. Right on. And did someone or did you read it online? Like how did, how did you first actually hear about it? Crypto or Bitcoin or Ethereum? Um, I honestly, I forget <laughs> how I first heard about it. Um, I either read about it online or heard about it from my dad and then went and researched it online and then we got into it together. Uh, nice. and, um, yeah, so that, that's probably how I got into it. Um, despite, you know, being, being older, uh, and, and not, a you know, somebody who was still a teenager at the time, he, He's very like f technology forward, um, used to you know, venture capital and always looking for cool stuff like that. Um, I know he had heard about it, like when Bitcoin was created, um, I think his biggest regret is that he didn't buy more. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's everyone's always biggest regret. Like, uh, I wish I bought more a year ago or a year or two ago. It's like, well, if you could buy in 2013, that was a good time to buy. Yeah. Even, yeah, even 2015 was a good time to buy relative yeah. to now. Uh, yeah. But that's the whole purpose of this, right? Is like, we're investing for something that's going to grow in the future, like 10 years down the line. Now we're still yeah. building. We're early. I feel like we always say we're still early, but it feels true. Yeah. I think it's definitely true, especially now in the bear market, it feels earlier than it was a year or two ago. Um, mm -hmm. just because the amount of adoption we have right now and is, a, a lot lower than the number of people who were using it a year or two ago. That doesn't mean they won't come back, 
But I think when they do come back, the industry will be much more mature because it's the people who have survived and the projects that have survived um, have sort of weathered the storm and figured out how to make their products work with or without uh, crazy economic conditions. Exactly. And then like, was the aspect of like, like just financial aspect, making money, that was your first interest. I think as many of us, you see crypto prices going up and down, the volatility of it is exciting. Yeah, I think, I think that was definitely part of it. I think the other thing that really interested me uh, is just the idea of being able to uh, transact in a decentralized way without having to mm -hmm. go through centralized authority. And so I think anybody who at least has somewhat of a libertarian streak is, is pretty attracted to that idea. Um, obviously like Bitcoin and Ethereum are not anonymous. I played around a bit with like Monero and mine some as well. So I was into that kind of stuff as well. Nice. Was your dad a big influence of like pretty much explaining and showing to you how broken the current monetary system is? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I, a lot of it was also, um, you know, we have very similar priors. So like doing research, we come to similar conclusions on stuff. Um, nice. But yeah, definitely as you know, when I was younger, he was a formative influence on me. Nice. And yeah, like you said, technology was something you've always just loved and you just are interested in it. So you kind of gravitate yeah. towards that. And same for me. It's like whenever some new tech comes out, I'm, I'm just going to research as much as I can about it and try yeah. to build little apps here and yeah. here and there. Um, but what was, um, the, the idea of prime. Was that the first idea you kind of had in crypto other than arbitrage trading bots? Like, was there something in between that kind of led you yeah, into I've, Prime? I've had plenty of ideas. Uh, <laughs> Prime was the one that I decided to build that I think could have some real product market fit and traction and large usage. Um, I had also thought about, uh, you know, I, I sort of thought about Squeeth before that came out. I don't know if you remember that, but basically I don't think so. when I was a vault trader, um, I sort of recognize that a lot of these LP pools that people had, when you invest in a traditional uh, like DEX LP position, you're basically like selling volatility because if the price goes up too much, you lose money relative to if you just hold held the two tokens, um, not an LP pool. And if the price goes down too much, uh, you also lose money. And then there's this interesting element of if there's a ton of volume but the price stays the same, then you end up making money. And ultimately it's like actually not a great bet for LPs and over time, like they tend to lose money or at least historically they have uh, because prices have been relatively volatile. Mm -hmm. And so I was really interested in uh, creating some sort of protocol that would basically give you inverse derivative exposure to um, price movement to help you match up the like gamma risk that you and higher order risks that you were taking by investing in an LP pool because um, it was already possible to basically hedge out the Delta risk. And there were some yield farms that did that. So I thought that was a pretty interesting idea. Um, and I did a lot of like Delta neutral <clears throat> yield farming for a little bit. Uh, I, it did all right. I, I don't yeah. think it was anything exceptional. Um, but uh, that was an idea I had. Uh, also had you know, different ideas for on-chain options. Uh, obviously, there are other people working on that too. And so I felt like that space was a little bit more competitive. And um, despite having options knowledge, uh, I didn't know if 
there was going to be enough interest because the people who trade those in large amounts of size tend to be institutions. And in traditional markets, the reason why institutions are trading options uh, is largely to hedge different kinds of exposure, like interest rate options. You have corporates trying to hedge their corporate debt exposure. You have mortgage issuers uh, or you know, servicers trying to hedge like maybe some of the convexity risk that they have with those positions. But there's not really a, other than LP positions, not as much of a natural demand source for that in crypto other than people trying to gamble. <laughs> and uh, I think that even more so than what I'm doing now is very cyclical. So I didn't end up pursuing that either. Gotcha. So then um, from idea to actually, I think now you're in a you know, public test net with Prime Protocol, right? Like anyone can join yeah. and just test it out for fun. Yeah. So from idea till now, what was the time period, time gap? Uh, well, I first had the idea probably around October of 2021. Um, that was back when I still had a, a TradFi job and <laughs> started working on this uh, a little over a year ago. Um, so I left at the end of December, uh, started working on this, uh, like putting together some funding and uh, mapping things out in January. Um, closed the round like in February, uh, like money came in around East Denver last year nice. and, uh, was off to the races. So the initial MVP, like what I initially wanted to do was just a CDP protocol where there'd be a stable coin. You could deposit collateral anywhere, take out the stable coin, borrow anywhere. And it was, you know, over collateralized. So nothing like Terra or something that, uh, would be like risky, like really wanted to guarantee that it actually held its value. Yep. And then you'd be able to really seamlessly bridge it between different chains and use it interoperably. And you know, that's still in the protocol. Um, but we ended up adding more because given the bear market conditions, very hard to scale a new stable coin. Um, especially if you are a newer protocol, you have to offer higher yields on that. And I figured, you know, we, we already built this cross margining system. Why not add, money markets and additional functionality to it as well. So that's what we did. And so the original protocol, like we launched on testnet, uh, I want to say like September, October of last year, um, we like did a couple complete audits of you know, the existing protocol. And then we added all these extra features. So that includes the money markets, universal access. So being able to submit, uh, either a borrow or a withdraw transaction from any chain, but it could pop out on any other chain that you choose. Wow. Uh, so you can pay gas wherever you like, uh, and some other cool like bells and whistles that I think will make the protocol much more unique, which is really important in, in market conditions like this. And Absolutely. so that version of the protocol, uh, came out about a month ago and, um, it's been on testnet ever since. Nice. What a feeling, right? Like entrepreneurship is such a ride in itself and like, yeah. Like, how are you feeling when you said, all right, I'm going to quit my traditional finance job and then move full-time crypto and who knows what's going to happen. But what was going on through your head at that time? Um, I mean, I, I definitely always wanted to do my own thing. Um, it, uh, it definitely happened a little bit sooner than I think I had originally planned out. Uh, but I'm really glad that I'm full-time in crypto now. And, uh, 
I, I just enjoy everything about it so much more. I think, you know, building something is way different than, uh, trading stuff, especially when the stuff that you're trading is like, it's interesting from a technical perspective and like macro econ is interesting, but at the end of the day, like I, I definitely wasn't particularly happy, uh, doing what I was doing. Like you sort of get into a job like that because it pays you a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think what I'm doing now is definitely way higher risk. Uh, it's also much higher reward and, uh, but it's also more fulfilling. So, uh, you know, regardless of monetary outcome, uh, I definitely really enjoy what I'm doing now. Um, and I, you know, also, I, I think I find a lot of fulfillment as well. And in like the team that we've built, uh, which I think is really strong. Um, nice. and yeah, like having something that I've put out into the world that hopefully will, you know, make crypto better. How big is your team now? Uh, including me, we're eight people. It's pretty everybody. amazing. It's pretty amazing what you can build with just eight people, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that's actually pretty typical for a lot of DeFi teams, um, especially like seed stage and early on. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think because just the nature of building in DeFi, if you have too many people on the code base, then you just like step on each other's toes and like the marginal productivity per engineer goes down pretty quickly after you have a few. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we have a really good uh, community and social team as well. And so I, I think this is a, a pretty good size. Uh, maybe in the future, we might bring on a few more. Um, but yeah, I, I think you can run pretty lean as a DeFi team and, and do well. Now, for anyone listening who's interested in working in the crypto space, kind of what do you look for and how do you decide like, who to onboard on your team? Yeah. I think the most important thing that I always say is you have to be genuinely passionate about crypto and like, you, want, you need to want to be here because you love crypto. And if you want to work at like, Prime, you have to love DeFi. Uh, if you don't and you're just looking for, if you're like a fair weather uh, crypto enthusiast who's looking to just make some quick money, probably not the best, uh, not the best fit. And the reason I say that is those people, a lot of them like ended up leaving when prices went down and I'm sure they'll be back when prices come back up. Uh, but you're not actually, ironically, you end up making less money that way because you have to be in it through the bear market to, you know, build real products and sort of accumulate and you know, you'll be rewarded on the other side. But a lot of people are you know, shorter term thinkers are chasing the shiny thing. So I think that's something that we really try to emphasize on our team, uh, which I think also really helps both the retention and the culture of the team um, is everybody's really passionate about what they're building. Uh, obviously there are other uh, non-negotiables like you have to be really smart. Uh, you have to be good at your job. Um, and you have to be a fast learner, uh, because in the space, you're always learning, uh, mm -hmm. nobody, it's not like traditional tech where if you want to build a SaaS company, there's a pretty like well-defined tech stack that everybody uses, um, for like a web app or like a you know, phone app or whatever you're building. And it's really just, okay, plug and play, uh, like when you're building in crypto, especially something like what we're doing, which has never been done before, like half of the thing is a research project and <laughs> the other half is building it. And then, you know, there's a lot of testing as well. And, uh, so you have to find people who have like, you know, a passion for innovation as well.
Nice. And that's, yeah, it's very true. Especially when you're talking about building during a bear market, like a lot of times when people come in during a bull market, they're like, Oh, where'd all these companies come from that are making so much money? Well, they were building they during the bear market. market. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a key feature that I guess most people kind of forget. And I've been in crypto since 2013. Right. And I've seen this roller coaster ride many times and emotionally, yeah, I'm like, Oh man, is this the last time crypto is going to be up? Like, is it over? <laughs> Like, did I just lose everything again? Um, but no, it's like, it's just a ride that you have to go through. And as you're building, as you're growing with this quiet bear market, it's kind of like nice because you can put your head down and just build and not be so focused on the price. Right. And then when the bull market comes around, that's when you're, you get to reap some rewards. Yeah. Um, but so as you're building your team, you have development going on, you're growing is, is this almost like, did you, as an entrepreneur, did you have a roadmap plan? Like, all right, by 2023, March, I'm going to be at 50,000 followers on Twitter. I'm going to have my public test net out or where you can have just like, I'm going to go as hard as I can, as fast as I can and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, look, we definitely plan to uh, have things out sooner, but that's how software always goes. Yeah. Um, and because we sort of made a, I don't know if it's a pivot or just a large addition to the protocol, it took a few extra months uh, to get things out the door um, relative to what we were initially planning. Um, I'd say the social growth has been fantastic. Uh, we, I definitely, um, it, it always comes like very quickly all at once. And then after that, it's like a steady grind. Um, and so I've been very satisfied with how that's gone. Uh, I think it's really hard to plan that kind of thing. Uh, you just work as hard as you can and, uh, just keep grinding at it. Um, so I, I think right now our attitude is let's just make sure that we get things done as fast as possible, but with the caveat that we need to get it done right. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the teams that were shipping in the bull market ship things too fast without properly testing them. And especially for something like what we're doing, it's, you know, cross chain is uh, a lot of people associate with higher risk. And to some extent that's you know, correct. What we've built is a lot more complicated than existing single chain lending protocols. Um, so we definitely needed to be very careful and deliberate about how we built it. And there was a lot of other infrastructure that goes on behind the scenes that when people look at the contracts, they don't see that we had to build out in order to make this possible, both from like a testing perspective, also from a deployment perspective and maintenance perspective. Uh, there's like, we have way more, like, way, way more lines of code on the infrastructure side than we actually do on the contract side, um, okay. which I think at this point is really accelerating our development and gives us a big competitive edge uh, because we can, you know, iterate on testnet faster and, um, test things more effectively, but it took a while to build all of that out as well, uh, which was something that I think I, I didn't fully appreciate, uh, when I got into this. Uh, but now I'm like, okay, yeah, that was definitely necessary to do. Nice. And this is more than just EVM compatible chains, right? This is including Bitcoin. Uh, or... so the version one won't include Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's tough because it's not Turing complete. Um, I, I did actually meet somebody recently who's building an EVM on Bitcoin. I'm interested to see how that turns out. Uh, I think in the future, uh, we would like to uh, see if we can maybe work with ThorChain or something to have you know, native Bitcoin as collateral. Uh, I think 
the most of the market is on EVM right now. Mm-hmm. So that's where we decided to go first. It'll be all major EVM chains. And for version two, uh, we have a lot planned and that could include uh, a number of non-EVM chains as well, um, both like in the Cosmos ecosystem and beyond. So uh, there's still a lot to a lot to be built for non-EVM. And ultimately that's, you know, it, it takes uh, a lot of judgment, I think, to decide which non-EVM chains you want to build for because what's hot today might not be hot in a year or two, yep. which is you know, when the product's live and growing and building traction. Uh, but there's a, a big upfront investment for every non-EVM chain you build for because most of them are different um, and they require a different tech stack. We have to build new infrastructure for it um, and you know, new programming language. So that means a different set of contracts. So yeah, we, we do have plans to go non-EVM. Uh, that's going to take a little bit longer and we're going to be very deliberate about the choices that we make there. Uh, because you know, we have to make sure the investment has a good ROI. Exactly. Like you said, most of it is like research and then other part of it is just developing and building it out. Yep. Now that you're in this crypto space for, you know, over what, four, seven years or so, um, what's a crypto pet peeve you have? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I, so I personally think that uh, one of the main initial utilities of crypto is like decentralized finance and applications related to that. I think a lot of people love chasing like new shiny objects. Yeah. I think that NFTs were definitely overvalued uh, during the last like hype cycle. And um, a lot of the people who were you know, shilling projects that were going to have real world utility in the future where there was just no path to doing that. I think that that kind of rubs me the wrong way because you're really just trying to get people hyped up for something that's not going to come. Um, I so I, I think there are some notable exceptions of people who did deliver uh, real like real world utility to their NFTs, but that was like in the roadmap up front. So the people who were uh, basically saying like, "Oh yeah, this collection of like animals is going to." <laughs> give you access to some exclusive community in the future. Like, okay, that's, that's great. And, yep. and I feel like, um, a lot of the like innovation in that space, I think has like the reputation of NFTs and like their applications have sort of been damaged by a lot of these sort of profit driven, like hype seeking, yeah. uh, projects that don't really have any real utility. Like, I think there's definitely a, a place for NFTs to exist in the crypto ecosystem tied to more like real world assets. I know people have mixed opinions on that in crypto right now, but I think ultimately that's like, the real value of them um, is actually having some like real world utility or tied to some sort of real world cash flows. Like that could actually give them value. Um, and there are things in the real worlds that aren't fungible uh, yep. like the same way um, you know, ERC twenties are. So I think that's one of my pet peeves is, uh, a lot of the NFT culture. Uh, I remember my first time at East Denver, which was last year, there were a number of people I met who were just like, oh yeah, I own this, or I, I bought into this NFT collection really early. So now I'm rich and I just do whatever I want, but they, they didn't, they weren't really contributing that much to the ecosystem. Um, I don't know. I, I, I find that a little annoying. I, I totally agree because yeah, I met lots of people who are just like 
yeah, I got the board ape and now it pays for itself and I can do this. And then I'm like, well, you know, how are you helping out everyone else? Like you're kind of just raking it in like any other like rug pull project, but it's also yeah. like, it's tough to decide because on the other hand, it brings a lot of mainstream attention. Like, yeah. Or it's selling for millions of dollars. Everyone's like, Oh wow, look at that. You can make so much money off crypto. And then all of a sudden Coinbase has an influx of a couple million new users. And that's great for crypto. We need more user adoption, but the messaging behind it is so incorrect. It's like, that's not the actual goal. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's uh it's a mixed bag there because I do agree that it's, it's very important to get the word out and have solid marketing operations within crypto. And ultimately that's what most of these NFT projects are is their marketing operations. Yep. Um, I, I just think a lot of them, you, know, you could accomplish the same thing with the centralized database and people wouldn't really care. I don't think, um, who are participating in these communities and like the promise of crypto is decentralization and, uh, how can we use that to better society? Exactly. And like, yeah, thing for me, because decentralization is key. It's the whole point of crypto is owning your own assets, owning your own money. And if you do have money, you can put in a liquidity pool if you want to, to help other people diversify, yeah. diversify their assets. Like it, it, it's really showing, it's kind of like a, yeah, like it's mixed bag. Like you said, like you can put crypto to kind of do whatever you want. And if you really want to make an NFT project, you can, even though it's not like <laughs> the number one thing that you're not really solving that many problems, but I guess if you want to just prove something, you can use that as a, you know, use case. Um, yep. now, now that you're, um, uh, building this out, you're working on prime has, have there been any surprises in building a business that's in crypto, like, like registering it as a business and then also just, you know, legally trying to say, no, I'm doing something that's actually useful, but it's kind of hard to like maneuver that around. Um, I mean, yes and no. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of it, I sort of knew what I was getting into. Um, I, I do think like from a, a legal perspective, probably the biggest challenge that new crypto businesses are facing, um, especially in the US, but I think this is globally an issue too, is just accessibility to traditional financial services. Um, like it's, if I was starting today, a lot of like the bank accounts that I had, you know, gotten set up um, for like a legally incorporated development company um, in the US, uh, it would have been very hard to do because um, you know, even though that development company is not you know, deriving any profits from the protocol, it's like never going to like that U.S. corporation will never sell a token. Um, and like people just hear crypto and uh, or like any sort of blockchain development and uh, they want to run the other way. And a lot of it's due to, you know, the incredibly hostile uh, regulators and mm -hmm. um, like administration that we have right now in the U.S. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's like, it's, it's been a, that side of things probably a little worse than I was expecting, but because of when I got started, um, fortunately, like a lot of that isn't impacting me personally, uh, because we have all of that stuff set up already. Nice. Um, I think 
the thing that I was most surprised by uh, was the amount of like the the scale of this collapse and sort of amount of just blatant disregard for both risk and um, sort of the whole FTX thing, I think was uh, a little bit of a a surprise that people did so little diligence and there was so much like greed and corruption going on there. Um, Like that was, that was a lot. Um, Obviously I think that reinforces the need for DeFi and what we're doing. So long-term like bullish on what we're building because we're as an industry, we're trying to prevent that from happening again. Um, but in the short term, obviously, like it's a net negative for the reputation of crypto in general. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that was one of the larger surprises, um, since I've been building in the space. Yeah. And that's uh, how you bring up FTX. It's like people come to me saying, Oh, how's your crypto doing now that FTX screwed everything up? I'm like, well, you know, I don't associate centralized entities as crypto. Like that's the problem with centralized entities, not cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency is supposed to be decentralized where people are more open and uh, if their code's open or like what's going on with the money is open, like how smart contracts are, are created, that's all also open. So you know what's going to happen. Whereas a centralized entity, you have no idea what's going on and you just trust the person. And this is what happens when you trust someone blindly. Right. Well, I think another thing is this is what happens when uh, regulators like force shady actors to go overseas and Mm -hmm. don't give people any uh, good options uh, in the U.S. Um, Like, I mean, the only company that has really stood the test of time and not had any major scandals like this is Coinbase. And they've tried their hardest to comply with all of the U.S. regulations and are U.S. based and open about it. But uh, the regulators have done everything they can to prevent them from innovating and make them less competitive relative to a lot of these other companies. And so ultimately, like I kind of put this at the feet of the regulators, like they created this situation where you have an offshore unregulated entity in the, in the Bahamas that grows really quickly because they aren't hamstrung by, you know, all of the bad decisions people are making in Washington. Exactly. It's yeah. And people will take advantage of rules if they can. It's just how humans are, I guess. Um, Right. I mean, I think this is also an issue of like people complain about um, concentration in the traditional finance sector too, of like, oh, these big banks have too much power and they have, you know, too much of the industry is relying on them and they're too big to fail. And yeah, like you can make regulations to try and break them up, but you also have a whole set of regulations preventing new entrants to the market. It's incredibly hard to get a banking charter. Um, you need a, a whole team of lawyers and a lot of capital uh, to deal with all of the current regulations. And a lot of the big banks support this uh, sort of oppressive regime because uh, it helps them keep their dominance because you're preventing new entrants to the market and they mm-hmm. can just share it with you know a few of their buddies. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation and I think hopefully crypto can help solve that. Uh, but especially in the States, it's, it's an uphill battle right now. Yep. And now to learn more about, you know, what you do outside of crypto, like you're dealing with all this in your mind, you're building this business, there's so much regulations and engineering and research you have to do and managing a team. How does Colton take care of his mental health and just kind of like decompress if you have to, even if you do. 
Yeah. I mean, I think I am generally like pretty happy guy. Uh, <laughs> and it's not too much of an issue. Uh, I try and work out pretty frequently. Um, that's my way of decompressing. Um, during the week, like don't have much time outside of, you know, working out and work, um, and see friends on the weekend. Um, so I think, yeah, I, that's mainly how I deal with it. I, I don't have any crazy, like meditate for 30 minutes every day and take a cold shower and, <laughs> uh, and do all of that. Um, try and take the cold shower every once in a while, but, uh, I don't have some super strict regime or, or any secrets. Do you I read a lot of books? Sure that, I think making sure that you are like moving enough throughout the week and uh, yeah. working out is important and like getting enough sleep. Do you read a lot of books? Uh, I do more on Audible uh, and I'll do it either as I'm like falling asleep or on plane rides uh, or like walking to and from the gym. Um, I don't have that much time where I just sit down and read a book though. Yeah. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. That's how it works. So it yeah. is hard. I have to like force myself to like, instead of watching TV, I'm like, right, let me try reading instead for an hour rather than watching an episode of the Mandalorian yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really watch TV. Yeah. That's good. I think that's good. Who knows? Maybe in 10 years we'll decide something different about TV. Uh, yeah. but yeah, man, like Cole, you're doing like amazing things with prime. Like what's coming up next? What should people get excited for? Uh, well, I mean, we're on testnet. We have the final product on testnet and we're doing our final audits right now. So, uh, you can probably connect the dots as to what's coming really soon. Uh, that, you know, main nets just around the corner. Uh, so that's, I think what I'm really excited for. And, uh, I think it's especially exciting for people who are early in the community, uh, to be able to use mainnet early. Um, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a good opportunity for people. And, um, I'm really excited to see how people you know, decide to use the protocol. Nice. Could you imagine yourself doing anything different if it wasn't for crypto? Uh, if it wasn't for crypto, I mean, yeah. I, if crypto didn't exist, obviously I'd be doing something different, but with yeah. crypto in the picture, no, I, I think I'm, I'm doing what I was meant to do at this point in my life. So I'm, I'm very happy about where things are going right now. Right on. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Colin, for being on the show. Where can people find you? What's your Twitter handle? Where can people find Prime Protocol? Yeah, so my personal Twitter is Colton F. Conley, uh, all one word. And our Prime Protocol Twitter is Prime underscore protocol. Uh, so you should definitely follow both of those accounts for updates uh, and stand the loop, turn on notifications. <laughs> and uh, you should also join our Discord. Um, You've got you know, a great team of mods and a really strong community. And, um, you know, all of us are uh, on Discord to support you and answer your questions as, as we launch and um, and beyond. So, yeah, I'm part of that Discord now, too. So if anyone wants to chat awesome. with me, too, I'll, I'll be on there. And definitely watching how Prime goes because it's an exciting project. And thank you for contributing. Thank you for building DeFi. Thank you for you know, going against the grain and doing everything the wholesome crypto way. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for helping get the word out. Um, it's a team effort. And I have one more question for you. What is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Something that happened in the crypto space that made you feel good and like proud to be part of this industry. Hmm. Um, I think one of my favorite moments was, 
probably when uh, wormhole the wormhole token bridge got hacked and jump immediately stepped in and made everybody whole. Uh, that was, um, they had no idea that they were going to be able to recover the funds at the time. Um, and they did it pretty quickly without hesitation. And you know, I think that's evidence of these guys are really in it to uh, build the best infrastructure and build trust. It, it was a lot of money and mm -hmm. definitely not, uh, not something to scoff at. It was like one of the biggest hacks that's happened. Um, but they, you know, have so much conviction in, you know, the good that this can do and the future value of it that, you know, they were willing to not only do that, but, um, you know, they would, they would do it again if they had to. Uh, and I think everybody knows that. So I think that was really like an altruistic show of faith in crypto um, that uh, it was not necessarily a for-profit motive. It was a, you know, this is the right thing to do. And um, actually being in, in their position and having to make that call, I think shows a lot, a lot of character. Absolutely. You have to you know, do what's best to keep our reputation in, in highest regard. Thank you again, Colin. Appreciate your time and look forward to Prime. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on the on the pod, and uh, hope everybody uh, enjoys what we're building and uh, hops in and tries out Mainnet when it's live. Absolutely. See you, everyone.